0: Starts now. I'm Scott Tantucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders.
1: Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and
2: I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works, and maybe what most important, what doesn't.
1: In a previous episode, we talked about who the customer is of sales enablement. And we answered that as the person who decided on your role and invested in it. Your department often exists based on a challenge that someone in your organization wants to address and how you scope it matters. And today we're gonna talk about why you're in the specific situation that you're in. And we're going to compare and contrast the different situations in order to help you move forward in tw- next year's 2020 and also take action in a way that makes most sense for your organization. So as usual, we start with a centering story to give our episode a scene. So Scott, take it away from here.
2: So we're recording after Thanksgiving. So we thought maybe a holiday theme would be would be very appropriate. And what holiday, what, what Christmas holiday story wouldn't be great without a, a whole conversation about Rudolph the red nose right here? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. Lay it yeah, on us. So here,
2: here, here we are at the Sales of yep. with uh, Insiders podcast, and we've talked about things like um, Mendeleev and his periodic table. We recently talked about the Edsel. <laughs> now we're talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And if you know the story about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? He's tired of just being viewed as a, uh, as a parlor trick. So, him and uh, Henry the Elf, uh, the Elf, if you remember, He's the elf that doesn't want to be an elf. He wants to be a dentist. So they go off to just uh, to, uh, on their own journey, and they run into that uh, they they land on an island, and that island is the island of what?
1: Ah, it's the actually the land of Misfit Toys. The
2: land, that's right. The land of Misfit Toys. Yep, thanks. And they run into the that that lion. His name's King Moonracer. Ah, and if you can.
1: I didn't Picture. know that. You I didn't just know thought... his
2: King Moonracer.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> is that the um, point of the story? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's the
2: point, right? To educate you on on Christmas tales. Uh, actually, Bob Britton. I wouldn't be surprised if he would send you send you a note uh, because he 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 likes the King King Moon Moonracer reference. Uh, but really, what is he the King of? He's this land of misfit toys, and there's all of these toys that aren't good enough uh, that were rejected by Santa. Uh, to give, to give toys to kids. And one of them, uh, (laughs) like one of, one of these toys that's particularly funny to me is a kite and it's misfitness is it's, it's afraid of heights.
1: (laughs) That's right. And you know, um, when I first watched this, you know, I was not creeped out at all of this children's tale. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So there's, there's all these different
2: misfits and uh, King Moonracer unites them and you know, uh, brings them together and um, makes them find meaning and, and the like. So that's uh, that's our story.
1: Wow, that's interesting. So what the heck does that have to do uh, with sales enablement? Are, are you saying that that we're misfits or have we inherited misfit toys?
2: Well, uh, it's a, it's a story that that resonates. So this, it, how does it relate? Are, are, there's two reasons. So uh, for those of you who don't who don't know, Brian and I uh, were. Uh, were involved at, at Forrester you know, way back in as early as 2008, starting the sales and A1 research practice. And back then, um, you know, there was a whole bunch of uh, what is sales and A1. There weren't a lot of definition for it. Now we probably have way too many definitions that were probably at the same. I, I think we were probably more clear about what it was back then. But um, uh, a, a metaphor, we use this metaphor a lot to describe the role. And really the role is, um, you know, the head of broken things. You are a king moon racer of your own organization. Uh, you've been inherited. Uh, you might have inherited or at least a lot of those early sales and animal professionals would inherit things that maybe the marketing department want to touch, uh, things that sales managers didn't want to touch, things that sales VPs didn't want to touch, and things that sales operations didn't want to touch. So wonderful things like uh, simplifying the CRM system, or selecting new technologies uh, to to use because vendors would come in and you know make make briefings, uh, or um, you know fixing you know various other broken things like the price configuration management system and things like that. So that's that's really the nucleus. And the second reason that 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 maps is many of the people in the Sales Enablement Society of which, uh, you know, Brian and I uh, were very instrumental in starting actually, it was, you know, me Brian <laughs> up in February or in January of 2016 saying, hey, maybe we should start uh, a local area networking group. And a lot of people who were really uh, some of the first uh, members uh, of the Sales Enablement Society really looked at that as a, a that is also a, a, a metaphor and you know, we're a, a collection of people who are trying to get together to, to, to figure this stuff out. So those are, what those are ways of why it, why it matches.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you know, since that time, it continues um, and, and maybe they're not broken things, but they're uh, the land of maybe cool and cutting edge things such as, you know, AI driven coaching or role-based uh, applications for learning right so not only have, uh, have sales enablement leaders maybe inherited broken things but they're they're piloting some cool stuff too right so i don't know what what island that is but hmm. I, I like the metaphor because in both both situations um, these are items that that are uh, maybe one off or a little bit outside the norm of business as usual in both yeah, the way, yeah
2: maybe it's sort of the it's the the island of broken things are you exist to fix problems and the island of shiny things is your your job is to help us figure out how to take advantage of it you know enable it right um, activate yeah. it either way you're outside of the mainstream and as we all know the mainstream the standard operating procedure is pretty aggressive and you know pretty pretty uh, there's a lot of culture that goes around that and being outside of those um those two windows is can put you in a tough spot.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's also um, a tough spot because of the nature of the transformation that many companies are going under. I think when you look at growth today and what companies are doing to drive new business models, uh, new revenue streams, uh, evolve their platforms, uh, become become more of a, you know, all, all inclusive one-stop shop for technology and bring new capabilities to market, um, growth, it really becomes the mandate and it's, it's almost uh, anybody's turf. It could be products, turf, marketing's turf, sales, obviously. um, And the CEOs uh, really trying to drive and pull these different level levers. And one of the levers that he or she is pulling is this idea of sales enablement as, as a growth driver. Um, However, You know, Scott, you and I have both talked about this. We don't see that an awful lot, but where those folks are doing it and um, becoming the, the other side of the go to market, you know, the execution side of go to market, they're pretty busy and they're not hanging out at these conferences that many people are going to. And they don't necessarily want to hear from vendors about the strategies that they should be engaging in to drive the go to market forward. And there's a big gap between what I would say the aspiration is of what they're tackling versus the reality that's unfolding out on the internet, or the web, or even in, in job boards, or, um, you know, sales enablement society postings, et etc. And I think that gap, I would say is really around, you know, why are we here? And I like the misfit toy analogy, because it, it really gets to the question of why are we here? What do, you, what do you think about that? So I think that's great. I think what you've
2: done is provide a great landscape. So um, first of all, in the overall market, we all know, Sales transformation is happening in in the overall landscape. Then within your company, these things are happening. Whether they're being actively discussed to where you can see it is a different story. But if you're a sales enablement professional, uh, you're probably stuck in the hey, I'm in the I've got the bright shiny toys and I've got the broken toys, and I am uh, really stru- struggling or trying to make sh- carve out my niche or add value in the operating rhythm. That our sales force is in right now. So the challenge that that creates is it creates a a, a situation where if you're a sales enablement professional, you're probably thinking, hey, a lot of the stuff that you talked about, Brian, is interesting, but I can't afford to think about that stuff. That sounds too theoretical, too strategic. I gotta I, I gotta keep my nose to the grindstone and just execute. That's one 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 gut reaction that we typically hear. Another reaction that you might be Feeling, sort of like when you go home from work and wonder, you know, did I add value today? Um, am I being valued? You go, go home and think about, uh, you know, talk with, your, talk with your spouse about whether you should get a raise or not, or, you know, whether or not you can go ask for you know, the next round of funding next, next, next year. All of these different questions that you might go on in yourself and you just don't know. Uh, why don't you know? Why aren't those things clear? You don't know because you don't really have control of managing expectations of what your department is. Uh, and, and maybe you think you do because you think it's really, 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 really clear. My, the clarity of my role is very specific. It's clear on my MBOs, and all I have to do is execute those MBOs uh, every quarter. And I show that uh, I'm hitting those MBOs every quarter, that I'm, I'm valuable because somebody else has defined what that value is. But the reality is, is that many, uh, many sales enablement leaders talk to us. This is a common theme. I wonder if you, you, you run into this uh, too, Brian, is that many sales leaders I talk to say, I'm really frustrated. The company just thinks that I'm just a trainer and sales enablement is so much more.
1: Yeah, that's right. And
2: it's just cuted like a trainer.
1: Yeah. I've see, I've heard that. And I've also heard, you know, if, if the executive team would fund us more, we could do yep. more, um, and I think you're, you're you're spot on between this this area of you know super tactical I, I get stuff done, versus the the handful that are you know helping figure out what to do you know figure stuff out uh, strategically what are we going to do here, and then there's the get stuff done crowd. In the middle is this gray area, and you get kind of uh, buffeted around by the forces. You know it feels like you're maybe on a you know uh, on a on a ride there, and it's and, and in that ride. Uh, of your life, you know things start coming up like you're pointing out Scott and you know, how do you get control of that? How do you yep. enter into the rhythm of the business and drive as a valuable partner? Yeah, so you have uh, we're, we're gonna use a case study here and Brian
2: and I are gonna solve two different ways, but there's really only three choices that you have this is the good news, right? The good news is in the world of complexity and all the, the swirling dervish that we've just talked about, you really only have three choices, right? So here they are. Choice number one, you can decide or believe, uh, whichever it is, you can decide that the way that you personally are going to add value to the company is say yes to as many as many people as possible. I'm enabling your success. They're coming to me because they're asking me for it. I got to say yes. Uh, completing the task to the high quality. You know, we make sure that uh, they're done well, they have the right polish. Uh, we get them done on, uh, on, uh, on getting them done on deadline. And, and maybe your internal brand is, I get shit done. That's choice number one. Choice number two, you can do the things and then with choice number one, really the whole idea is, if I keep doing more of that, if I keep working hard, obviously somebody's going to value our department, expand our scope, and you know give me a raise and give me the resources that I need to do more. The second scenario is, well, I want to want to take more of that and control my hand, so I want to plant the seed. So I'm going to do everything that I'm doing in number one, you know, concentrating on getting stuff done, but I'm going to take some of these reports that I'm seeing. And I'm going to start uh, sending them off to people. Or I'm going to start positioning um, my department, and I'm hopeful that these reports will allow the VP of Sales to go, "Wow, this sales and is is way more than um, than training." Or, "Wow, I had no idea how complicated your uh, your uh, your function is. I should give you a promotion." Or, "What you know, whatever whatever your goal is." That's scenario number two, and scenario scenario number three is. To campaign more proactively, go and start talking to the individual uh, department leaders. Talk to them and give them insights about challenges that they're running into, and help them see what the real problems are. Let them let let them dwell on it, and then let wait to ask for your uh, you know how how you can help, and um, you know really illuminate and elevate the elevate the function.
1: So Um, those are those are three uh, areas. So number one, if you're following along is the get st- get stuff done. Yep. Two would be sending up reports and data to help, uh, in, you know, drive or. In, well, I wouldn't say
2: inform. data. I would say external reports. External reports. Number three is you're providing insights. So that's your own data, your own analysis.
1: Okay. And number two is maybe external thought leadership reports, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, and then, there's pros and cons to each of these, and but what we're going to do before we get into that is is tell a little bit of a have a situation that our listeners can um, participate in. So we're going to use onboarding, and the reason why we're going to use onboarding is a lot of people are engaged in that in some form or fashion. Um, and then and one, and then and then number two is if they're not engaged in it now, they probably will be at some point. So we're going to use that as a, a way to have a shared experience here. And what I'm going to do is I'll be, I'll be, uh, you know, in camp one to get stuff done crowd um, and and, and basically talking about tasks, et cetera. And then Scott will be talking about, you know, uh, area three about being more proactively managing and defining the value contribution of the function. So from an onboarding perspective, you know, let's just say we, we have a, um, a program already, and that program is a two-week boot camp. We have um, regularly scheduled classes, and uh, the ask is by by the uh, management team, sales managers, as well as our bosses, to uh, look at um, how we shorten it, and then also how we add different skills to it. So that's the that's the simple scenario. Is that good with you, Scott? Sure. Okay. So I'll be reactive guy. Um, my reactive guy, what I'll do and how I might action it is uh, I would do a bit of research. I would figure out trends, uh, figure out through my own experience what, what I might want to do to uh, provide some, some uh, topics through e-learning because everybody else is doing it. I would build a uh, bulleted list of uh, what we're going to do, and then I'd give it to my boss and ask for permission to go. And once I got it, I would uh, go do that. Um, and then uh, then I would communicate what we're doing to sales, and I would make sure that the sales pe- managers are aware of the changes that are coming. Something like that. And I'd do okay. that within 90 days. Because that's what my value is, is, I get stuff done. Gotcha. So
2: here's how I would tackle it proactively. The first thing that I would do is I'd define terms. So this is a step that I know a lot of people hate to do. But I would define specifically what does an onboarded person look like. And I would define it in such a way that it was measurable. So I'd have some sort of scorecard of what actually constitutes an onboarded person. The reason that I'd want to do that is because I'm going to do, be evaluated on the success of the onboarding program, and I don't want to, he said she said debate afterwards about whether or not it works or not. What I what I know is because this is a step that I go through with a you know a lot of clients. I know there isn't a defined spec, um, and people because it's undefined, people have their own expectations for it. So, for example, a sales manager's expectation might be. Um, they've just gone through the course and um, um, um they can they you know they know how to work some of the basic functions, but I gotta train them up on how to sell. And then a um a sales leader might think it's time to uh time to quota is is when somebody's in the onboarding process. And if our sales cycle time is say nine months, it's unrealistic for me to be held to a spec of you know, nine months because there's interactions with, with sales managers and like. So I first want to define, define the term. Then I'd want to I analyze, so that's number one. Then once I've got the definition of the term and, uh, you know, clarity of, of, of what it is, then I want to do data. And the data that I want to collect is uh, I'm a big fan of baselining. Uh, so the next thing that I would do is I'd baseline I'd say, given this definition, how long did plast classes take? To become onboarded, and I'd go through the data of all all the different past classes. I'd find a way to, you know, say this is class one, class two, class three, and I'd simplify it because you're going to have so many different batches. Simplify it, to, you know, to a year, and figure out what that what that metric is. And you, I'd do a readout of that mes- metric, just that one metric, and that readout would be sort of informal, sort of, uh, hey, you know. I'm learning this. I'm interested in your in- input in this observation. And um, you'll, you're going to find that uh, you probably don't have a, enough of the right data to do it, so publish that, uh, to, to actually collect it. But you're also going to find that um, in many cases, because the, the, the clients that I've done, the, the, time, the expectation that management has of how long that takes is a lot shorter than what the reality of the data says. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, One example, one client we did this through, the management expectation was 12 months, and all of the data, the best class was 24 months to get to a a metric of onboarded. So now you're like, wow. Because then what that does is step number three, it allows you to evaluate the program. So you mentioned the cases that we currently have a program. Well, that's muscle memory the way we've always done things. In my experience, what is the composition of that program? That composition is individual product mar- managers want to have space in the onboarding program. So, it's in our in our scenario, it's a it's a week. So, I have to a lot time for individual product managers to talk about their products. We have to a lot time for the benefits people um, to talk about the benefits because this is new hire onboarding, right? So, we want to provide benefit uh, training. And then, of course, we've got a huge slot, uh, slot slap of time because their sales operations people want to make sure that everybody knows how to use the CRM system. <laughs> so we probably have a half day dedicated to, you know, learning how to use Salesforce.com. And along the way, we, we pull all these things together. We mix in some mixers. We meet the, meet the management. Maybe we come in and, you know, meet executives. And uh, as a result of that, what are, what are people prepared to do? They're not really prepared to perform or, 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 or really do anything, so they get released to the, uh, to the sales managers. And now it's now are, are those people who have gone through that course, are they onboarded or not? What, what, what do they do? So then I'd say, based on the metric that we've agreed on, so step number four, based on the metric that we've agreed upon, what should the curriculum look like? And do a gap analysis between the current curriculum and what the curriculum should look like. Now you have to make tough decisions and say, because, and the reason that I've done the analysis stages and shop that alone and included sales management beforehand is because they have context. So now I have some support to be able to push back and say, Hey, the benefit training and the CRM system training and, um, uh, you know, the culture training, we're going to move all of that to just in time. And we're going to make those modules, we're going to use e-learning for that, and um, uh, we're going to make that just in time available, because a salesperson is only going to really pay attention to what the benefits package is, when they need to execute the benefits package, and make that, make the choices. So let's make that information available there. And the second thing is, you really only learn how to do the CRM system when you actually have a real opportunity. So how, how do you do that? How do you move those things just in time? Then the next thing is in terms of product training and the like we will simplify that we won't have individual product heads uh heads to provide it we're going to concentrate on you know helping our reps uh get first meetings you know get get opportunities going and building pipelines so we're going to redo the whole uh whole course to be a lot more about the buyers that we're doing within those scenarios and say this is where our program is going to be and invite uh, participants who can talk like customers. And we're gonna do a lot of role plays uh, around that and make it really, really fun. And then we're gonna have a, a very specific role um, it, you know, for our executives and say, this is what we wanna address. This is the culture that we wanna, the you, you only way to get off and what, are, what are our objectives are and put all of those pieces together so that we can have a scorecard at the end to measure what the results look like. That's how um, uh, I tackle that.
1: All right, so here in folks, if you're still with us, <laughs> thank you. Um, and this is this is an interesting phenomenon, and I see it all the time. Uh, mine was one minute. You know, Scott's was was ten minutes. Um, mine was in the, the the mainstream bloodstream of what everybody knows and what everybody feels, and it felt like hell yeah, probably to people like. That's exactly what we should do. Let's go. And then here comes Scott's. Right. (laughs) And, and it's like, wow. uh, It's so different. You know, it's, it's 900 times longer, 900% uh, longer one. uh, And uh, you know, he's saying stuff that we don't talk a lot about and I get uncomfortable with that. You know, this might be what you're, you're hearing here in the car. Um, for those that are still with, because, you know, I've seen it in the past where people can't hang 10 minutes to talk about onboarding. And that's really what just happened. You know, in this proactive approach, we spent 10 minutes talking about a proactive approach to onboarding. And there, there are two reactions, those that love that discussion, Scott, and those that want to, you know, reach through the their their device and strangle you right yep. now. And I wanted to highlight that because I purposefully, went a minute on mine, and I don't even know if it was right, to be honest with you. I don't know if people would agree with it. I really don't care, because I'm taking action in 90 days. It don't matter, because I'll be on to the next thing. Um, but with years at 10 minutes, you know, you're, you're gonna open yourself up for uh, discussion because of the, the gap you're creating around being proactive. And I think this is the, the challenge with the individual role but also the challenge with the function because it can feel a little sideways to the mainstream. And uh, what I would suggest is people go back and re-listen to the proactive one, because my guess is they couldn't, they couldn't digest Scott's 10 minutes. Um, And they may have to listen to it two to three times, but we're only talking 10 minutes and we're only, and we are talking about proactive, which everybody agrees is important. What's up with that, right? So I don't know, Scott. Um, I, I just wanted to call that out because I loved your five steps. You know, one, define what it means to be onboarded. Two, what's the expectation of the leadership three, team? Three is how are we going to evaluate what, what it is and what good looks like? And then four is make some decisions around what it sh- or what it should look like and how we're going to architect it. And then five is what are the trade-offs, you know? And that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Mine was like, Gather input, create a list of topics, get an approval from my boss, and get it done in ninety days, right?
2: Yeah, you can you can still do all the steps that I shared in, in ninety days. Also, it's just being. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know, man. That seems so hard. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> it's it, it's it's not that hard. Uh,
1: it's, I know. I the, know. The, the
2: thing, the steps aren't hard. It's being disciplined, and it's it's really just the the bedside manner of. Shopping the idea.
1: Yeah, and it's also, um, you know, you talked about muscle memory. um, The inertia, the muscle memory of the internal um, managers and leaders. That 10 minutes of space that you just occupied with the sales enablement folks on the uh, listening, those those folks would have to go and occupy 10 minutes of time with sales leaders, sales, you know, their bosses, etc., and if they're not comfortable doing 10 minutes, nobody else is going to be comfortable listening to them or working with them for 10 minutes. Um, and if they can't do 10 minutes, how are they going to tackle the, the root cause, you know, challenges to drive outcomes. And I think that's the difference between playing a Misfit Toys and being, um, you know, asked to do, get stuff done versus figure stuff out. And I would say it's a difference between reactive and proactive.
2: So here's, yeah, I think here's what's an interesting observation is I, I like what you said about, uh, you know, 10 minutes of space. and I don't have 10 minutes and no one's going to pay attention for 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, guess what? That is the problem that your salespeople are dealing with right now. Um, if you want to be, um, I think that if you want to be a effective uh, sales enablement leader, you've got to be really, uh, you got to put yourself in situations where you can be very empathetic with what the real, you know, the reality that your salespeople are, are are dealing with. And if you're like most companies and you're, you know, offering a new capability or a new product set that's, you know, transformative in nature, you're gonna have to be able to do that um, anyway. Right. So you're going to have to be able to, you, you have to empathize with that because no matter what project that you roll out and, and what it, does if if it's not addressing those issues uh, how do you balance like for example uh how do you bring up a commercial insight there's a lot of talk in challenger sale about oh you have to have a commercial insight and you do a lot of training on a commercial insight how do you actually bring up a commercial insight to a customer who doesn't have the 10 minutes to give you it's sort of the same thing here's a commercial insight about how to how to tackle uh sales Or sales, uh, sales onboarding. Here are the steps that you need to get it through. Here's this. Here's sort of the structure, and by doing this, it allows you to be transformative. But if you don't want to take the ten minutes, you know, to digest and, and learn it, um, how are you going to take advantage of it? Sort of the yeah, and we set this
1: uh, podcast up purposefully that way, right? We were trucking along. Everybody's on their treadmill, on their ride, you know, uh, on the Insider Nation train you know, boom, we're hitting onboarding, boom, boom, boom. And then here comes Scott with the uh, let's be proactive. And it's like er, coming up the works, but it shouldn't. Why is that? Yeah. And uh, to your point, um, there's a lot of things like that, you know, not only, you know, what is a commercial insight, but, you know, I have yet to understand what a buyer journey is or mm-hmm. a persona. And we've talked a lot about this. These are over generalizations of reality that uh, salespeople have to deal with. So, Um, we just, we just gave a little 10 minute dose of reality. And I think there's a choice that people need to make and it's going to reflect in their function. Are we going to fit in and and do the mainstream reactive work? Or are we going to uh, elevate the function, elevate the role? And, uh, that really gets to why are you here? And, um, Well, let's,
2: let's talk about post that. So, um, okay. So you can criticize me on the 10 minutes and that was a lot of detail and a lot of stuff. Let's talk about after. So let's say Brian, you've executed executed your thing. Let's assume it goes well. What next? How are you perceived as being valuable?
1: Um, what's the next thing and um, you know that's that's about it. What's the next thing with the least amount of headache because that was a little bit of head no, no headache and nobody complained about anything, so we're on to the next one feeding the beast yep. And actually, let's feed the beast globally. So, can you get on a plane for the next six months? Yep.
2: So, and and that's really your your remit is going to be pretty much centered around sales op, sales onboarding, and it might include maybe technology selection and you know the care and feeding and the tweaking of the technology system and constant, constantly improving what that on, that that onboarding focus is. Is that? sales enablement, is that going to help you change your focus uh, or the perception in the inside the company that you're just training? Because what is everybody else going to see?
1: The answer to that is no. I mean, everybody's going to uh, see you as the onboarding person. You're actually going to be reinforcing and, and hardening that expectation. And uh, you're going to be the king or queen of onboarding. Um, and that's all that you're going to get boxed in. Yep that situation so
2: let's let's give the alternate situation i rattle out those steps i've been through this uh been through this rodeo many times with uh with many clients um let me give you a, a other side of that ledger let's go back to because you actually did the work to come up with the data now i have insights those insights aren't external insights or reports from you know forrest or gartner or whatever that our executives aren't going to read they're actually real data about our company. And because I've challenged uh, people's conventional wisdom, I have lots of credibility. So who do I have credibility with? I'm building credibility with the sales uh, or the CFO and the sales leaders. So then they come to me and ask me, what should I do next? And then I'll say, well, let me put together some analysis to, f- to, to, to figure that out. Don't just answer. And then they then they give you the time and you come back with some thoughts and say I'd like to read this out to a, a, a variety of different people. So what I what I what you typically find and this is common, right? So these are very very predictable things is that the inbound class of the um uh, there is commonalities about the inbound class. So if you're running an onboarding program, you learn a lot about all the new hires, where they come from, what their expectations are. So you collect a lot of information about what competitors are doing, other sales organizations doing, et cetera. So you can mine all that and provide information. The second thing that you can do is you can say, you know what? Um, You you can make observations about how all over the place the the classes are. So for example, some people might hire uh, very transactional people. Some people might hire very strategic people and say, "Here, here are our observations of our incoming class. Which do you, which type do you think is the spec that we're looking to hire for for our future success? And say, the answer is probably we don't know," and say, "Well, I'd be happy to take that on and, and say, before onboarding, maybe we need to look at being more proactive at figuring out what kind of talent spec that we've got and how we're doing our hiring processes. I know that this you know, and then you follow the same approach and you're going to find the same kind of incompleteness of data. And then another thing that you can say is look, um, in order to collapse this, here's our definition of when a onboarded rep is. And then here's, uh, here's um, here's how long it takes to get somebody to quota. This gap in between isn't covered. Shouldn't this be the responsibility of frontline sales managers? Don't say it is the definition, get people to buy into that. And then say, I've noticed that we don't have a frontline sales coaching program. I'd like to promote I'd like to provide that. So you get acceptance on both of those, then you get to go put together a proactive budget and say this is the, the headcount resources that I'm going to need to execute it, and these are the steps that I need to go, and you're going to get the funding to do it. So you've expanded your footprint now from just onboarding to now you're helping the, the hiring process and the coaching process. You might as well give your identity of saying I'm I'm manufacturing the hire to retire process and I'm I'm scaling it and make it more efficient. That's gonna attract the attention of your CEO. Yep. So th- those would be ways uh, to um, leverage though, the work that you're doing to concentrate on communicating what those results are and provide information uh, to many, many, many stakeholders whom um, are very interested in what your success is.
1: Yeah, and I will say uh, as somebody who's implemented um, you know, more proactively, uh, that this works. And, um, you know, I want to give you some tips here in order to wrap this up. Uh, the proactive approach is definitely what uh, executives notice, uh, especially the outcomes or the outputs of, of that more proactive approach. To do that, um, you know, do, do what we did here. You know, first, I would say you've got to practice being proactive. Try outlining things in terms of three to five uh, actionable uh, top-down uh, phases or chunks of work that need to happen and see if it makes sense to you. And then shop that around uh, to leaders and ask them if that makes sense as far as an end-to-end approach uh, to thinking about uh, an issue. And, th- and in that discussion, you'll you'll start understanding root causes. The second thing is you've got to um, embrace this uncomfortable, this uh, discomfort of being more thoughtful and end-to-end. That pause we put into the, the podcast here where we did a pattern interrupt, you know, using neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, you know, we, we basically pattern interrupted you, got you into the mainstream, and then you hit, hit with something proactive. And for many people, my guess is you couldn't even process what Scott was talking about. You go back, re-listen to that, and then also, you know, make a commitment to being proactive and being uncomfortable at first in that, uh, to get through it instead of just, re- you know, rejecting it. And then the third thing is, is um, uh, when you look at this, uh, I would test your talk track out and not expect it to be easy. Um, if you can't get 10 minutes of people's time, you're, you're going to have trouble in your role. You're, you're, you're going to be an individual contributor in your role. So if you can't get headspace for, you know, for 10 minutes, that's going to be an issue. And as uh, Jack Welch said, you know, control your own destiny or somebody else will. So those are the the four takeaways from this uh, episode here. Hopefully uh, we made you think, and hopefully we're going to help you uh, be more proactive in uh, twenty twenty. Uh, Scott, anything you want to share before we go?
2: Uh, no, that's a that's a great wrap up. I'd just say that you know the the benefit of being proactive is that you can do a lot better job of setting and managing your. Um, setting and managing expectations about what sales enablement is inside your company and what, um, what to expect from your department.
1: All right. Thanks everybody. As always uh, for listening, please continue to give us the feedback we've, we've heard from many of you uh, over the last uh, few weeks, especially with regard to our latest episode on uh, who's our customer Continue to give us that feedback uh, that helps us make our show better. Also uh, continue to give us topics that uh, you're wrestling with. Uh, The one that we talked about today, why are we here is something that uh, you guys have have approached us with and hopefully this was helpful. Uh, And then also reach out to us if you want uh, what we call a think it through buddy, you know, Scott and I like to to talk in this proactive space. So if you want to talk stuff through, reach out to us and we're happy to do that. And uh, thanks so much for your time. We'll see you on the, the next episode of
0: Inside Sales Enablement. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter or sending them a LinkedIn request.